Eve's Guide for Regular Guys. Tips and advice on developing confidence, embracing your style, and attracting the love and sex you want. Hello, welcome back. I'm so glad you decided to join me again. This is, this is a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed your new morning routine based on last week's episode. And I hope you treated yourselves to some nice things that you like. I know some of you mentioned that you felt fantastic after doing some of the things that I suggested in that episode. And that's, that's awesome. That's really what I like to hear. So I'm actually going to do a part two of that audio in the next little while, but, but not right now. For this week, I want to get started on changing your outlook on yourself a little bit. Now, first though, I have to say this, just let me say, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist. These ideas that I suggest to you are just general thoughts for your consideration. I want you to think about them, try them if you like, but you know, as always, you're the final judge of what's going to work for you. You know, I'd just like to give you some new ideas you may not have thought of before. Okay. So I mentioned last week that this week I'm going to talk about how to start changing your outlook on yourself and your life. Now, if you've ever ventured into any area like this before, you've probably been a bit overwhelmed by all the hyper-positivity you see. You know, all the unconditional love and encouragement you see in book titles, podcasts, etc. All the, all the crazy, like, you're amazing, you can do this, you can do anything you want, you know. And, <laughs> and well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, really, what's wrong with love and positivity? Nothing, right? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is, for a lot of people, they are very, very far away from even being able to pick up one of those books in the first place. You know, they're depressed or dispirited to the degree that they can't even... They can't even look at things like that. So in future episodes, I'm going to address clinical depression and social anxiety and the things that you might want to talk to your doctor about regarding those conditions. But for now, let me just say, if you're one of those guys who feels like he has a long way to go before he can even begin to benefit from all that ultra positivity and action taking and all that, then I think you might benefit from the suggestions that I'm going to make here. I think most of us are aware, um, speaking of depression, that there's a, there's a difference between clinical depression and just feeling down or unhappy about a specific situation. We know that they're not the same thing, even though we use the same word for it. One is much more pervasive. It's, it's often caused by a chemical imbalance. Um, and the other is, is more situational. It's more or less a normal emotional reaction to a negative event. If someone loses their job or they break up a relationship, we might say that they're depressed, but we only mean that colloquially. You know, we, we, what we really mean is that they're feeling down due to something emotionally unpleasant that's happened. Well, I feel that we need to make the same distinction between the types of people who seek out self-help. Some people are just feeling temporarily dispirited, maybe a little bit lost or aimless, but they're essentially um, fairly emotionally healthy people. They just need a little reminder or a little boost, you know, and for those people, the ultra positive stuff can really help. But for other people, I believe they need something different. I believe they need to do some basic 
groundwork before they can they can get to that point and that pushing them towards this be all you can be stuff too soon can actually have the opposite effect because if they're not ready to try something like I don't know, introducing themselves to strangers at a party, for example, and if they go and do it anyway, and it doesn't go well, well, then they feel even worse, because they quote-unquote failed at even being positive. You see what I mean? I'm not suggesting you don't try to improve yourself, of course not. It's more that I want you to ease into it gently, you know, and respect the fact that you've spent a lot of years, many of you since childhood, um, cementing this kind of low self-worth into your mind and into your character. You can change it, but you should approach it slowly and, and gently. You know, change is much more likely to occur this way. So I'm not going to tell you to stride out into the world and be a champion and own it and just suck it up, buttercup. You know, <laughs> maybe someday you'll feel that way. I certainly hope that you do. But for now, let's just work on taking some baby steps. Things that will build your confidence and make you feel better in your own skin. Aside from the obvious benefit of doing that, I can guarantee you, ding, 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 this is the number one thing that will make you attractive to women. Every woman wants a confident guy. And no, I don't mean an arrogant, conceited, or selfish guy. I don't mean a pompous, asshole, jerk guy, no. I just mean what I call um, quiet confidence. A guy who is good with who he is, you know, who knows his value, who knows his strengths and works with them, but who also accepts his faults gracefully, without letting either one of those things affect his general sense of self-worth. But becoming this guy is not just a matter of flipping a switch in your mind or just learning a new habit. It's not something you can just force yourself into, and it's not just mental or even physical laziness that's causing this. I know very well that a lot of us were very affected by our upbringing and our original families. And then sometimes those problems were compounded when we went to school and we faced all the challenges of, of growing up among our peers. So, you know, to expect yourself to just shake off decades of influence and conditioning and learning and experience and then suddenly spring into life as a well-adjusted and happy, confident adult, well, at best, I think it's, it's incredibly optimistic. And at worst, I think it puts you under so much pressure to do something that's almost impossible for anyone to do. So what we're going to do here is just build up slowly acknowledging that you have to relearn a lot along the way. In many ways, you have to re-raise yourself. You have to be your own parent, in a sense, and, and grow yourself up all over again, only doing it right this time. And this isn't to say that your parents are necessarily to blame. I mean, sometimes a person can end up with very low self-esteem, even if they had wonderful, loving parents. I just mean that somewhere along the way, for whatever reason, your view of yourself didn't develop properly as you grew up, and so now it's, it's up to you to set it right. So without getting too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to make you think of this analogy. You're building a house. So you have thoughts and ideas about what you'd like the house to look like when it's done, you know, what features you'd love it to have, how many rooms, you know, what they use for, that kind of thing. How great the house is going to be when it's done. But you can't do anything until you pour the concrete foundation. 
So without that, or if you try to build the foundation out of sand instead of concrete, you know, you can go ahead and build the house. But, you know, the, the whole thing would just come crashing down soon, wouldn't it? So, you know, don't think about the kind of windows you want right now or, you know, where you're going to put the pool table. All of that will come later. Right now, we're pouring the foundation and we're making sure that it's strong and solid. So, I'm going to give you two mental exercises to do this week. And don't worry, they're not difficult. They're just for you to do quietly inside your own mind. So that makes it even easier. The first one is the easiest. For the next week, and longer if you can get into the habit of doing this, I want you to start practicing making preference choices wherever you go, just in your own mind. For instance, if you're on transit on the way to school or work or something, and you look out the window, which I do encourage you to do, by the way, instead of just staring down at your phone, um, I want you to really look at the houses that pass by and just get into the habit of deciding which house you like the look of the best. Maybe it's just the color of the front door. Maybe one has nice flowers outside. Maybe one is painted a different color. Just whatever. Look at them and decide which one you personally like the best. It can be anything, too, and the more the better. Anything you see as, as part of your day. Say to yourself, if I had to choose of all these houses or these cars or these dogs or these jackets or these bikes or these paintings or whatever it is, just ask yourself, which one would I choose? Now, for now, you don't even have to ask yourself why you would choose this one over that one. And just don't do it with people. As in, don't start picking out which girl you would like for a girlfriend. Just keep this exercise really simple for now. I know it might seem kind of pointless. You're not going to buy a house or a car, or maybe you aren't looking for a dog or a jacket or a bike, you know, but there is a point. The point is, I want you to start exercising that preference muscle that you've probably been neglecting. Right now, you probably don't actively choose too many things based solely on whether you personally like them or not. You probably buy the clothes that fit you, regardless of whether or not you like them. You buy the stuff that's on sale, you know, not what you really like. If you're hungry, you'll probably just eat what's there or what you're used to. You don't make a real effort to eat only what you really like. I'm sure there are some things that you choose, but if you're like most people, it's not nearly enough. In most cases, you probably just make do with whatever, you know, <laughs> like big cosmic shrug, whatever, you know. <laughs> well, I want you to stop doing it. And the easiest way to start is to just look at the world around you and start figuring out what you like. If you're in line at a store and you see the candy display, just look at all the packages and the wrappers and decide which one you like the look of the best. What colors and fonts and images do you like? Which one would you choose just based on the wrapper alone, like not on the flavor, you know? If, if you were the head of an advertising agency and people brought to you these four examples of, of candy bars, you know, which one would you say is, is the best and you would put out there for sale, you know, regardless of whatever flavor it is? You can do that too, of course. You can decide what your favorite type of chocolate bar or, or, or snack is, if you like mint chocolate or M&Ms or whatever. But the point is... This is all about just starting to notice your own preference for things. You'd be surprised at how many value judgments we can make in a day. 
especially in stores, because sellers are, are always vying for your attention, hoping that you'll pick their brand over competitors. I mean, naturally. But I wonder how many of us actually look at things from the perspective of just which one would I choose if I had to choose just one? The problem with doing this in a store is that there are so many other considerations when you're shopping for something. You know, like whether you can afford it or whether it does what you want or need. And this can complicate matters. So that's why I suggest you do this with everything, with house paint colors and trees and, and flowers and breeds of dog and, you know, whatever. I want you to just look at your world and decide what you like, what you prefer. What movie poster is best among all the ones outside the cinema? You know, which one would you have on your wall if you had to pick just one? Now you'll find that the more you do this, the more you'll start to develop reasons why you like something. Your mind will just start filling it in almost automatically. You might start by looking out your, your bus window and thinking, Oh, I like that house door better than that one, you know. I have no real reason for it, it's just a taste thing. But then you'll start noticing movie posters and you'll say, Oh, I want the Star Wars poster because I love that series. Or you'll say, I would choose the husky from all the dogs in the dog park today because I had a husky when I was a kid and they're wonderful. It doesn't matter if you have a reason for now, but if you do, it's a good sign. So just go with it, you know. If you, if you know you would choose a finger puppet like Beaker, like I did, <laughs> because he's your favorite Muppet and you've no idea why, well, that's great. <laughs> but if you look at all your favorite bands, albums, and you pick the one that you like best because it has your favorite song on it, well, that's really good too. This doesn't have to take long. In fact, you can usually pick out your, your favorite thing in a few seconds. And it doesn't have to mean anything. That's what's great about this. Just get used to doing it whenever you think of it. Whenever you are presented with choices, like several examples of something, like cars in a parking lot, or, um, or the names that go by when you see the credits of a movie. If you had to pick just one name that you like the best out of all the names that you see go by, which one is your favorite? Which one do you like better? Do you like George? Do you like Fred? Do you like <laughs> whatever? Which one do you like? So will you try this for me? This this week? Even just once or twice? This, if you notice, actually follows on from the exercise from last week, picking out the uh, shower stuff that you like. This is a continuation of that, only it doesn't involve purchases or things that you you actually need to to use. It's just an exercise in making choices based on what you like. Okay? Give it a try. I think, I think you'll find that you enjoy the process. That those boring moments on the bus or in line at a store can be livened up a little by this mini exploration that you're on. This little safari into your own tastes. Okay, so the second exercise is a little different. We've all been in this situation. We're standing in a long line somewhere and it's not very orderly. People are coming through all the time, making you move, whatever. And then someone steps in front of you. They, they cut in, basically. But you don't say anything to them. You just let them go ahead. Even if you're upset, you don't say anything. Or someone at work makes a joke about you, and you don't appreciate it, but you don't say anything. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to make a big deal about something trivial. Sometimes it's more serious. Sometimes someone will really insult you. 
or something very unjust will happen, and even though you're fuming inside, you just can't summon the nerve to call them on it. I know, I've been there too, lots of times. I've rarely spoken up for myself in situations like this, and I know lots of other people feel the same way. It's not always about your own sense of self-worth. Sometimes social rules prevent us from making a scene. You know, we don't want to be confrontational with, with our co-workers we, or just the people around us. We don't want all eyes on us, judging us, frowning at us. We don't want to tell the loud talkers at the movies to keep it down, you know. We don't want to stand up for ourselves in line at the store because the other people will be put out. Whatever the reason, we stay quiet. Now, I've read a few advice books that encourage you to speak up. You know, don't be afraid, just say to hell with it and stand up for yourself, yada yada. Yeah, well, it's easier said than done, right? <laughs> it's like this great t-shirt I saw once that said, change is great, you first. <laughs> it's sort of like that. If you're a confident person who's accustomed to speaking up and not caring what others around you think, then great, go ahead, good for you, I envy you, I wish I could be like you. But if you're not there yet, if you're still grappling with the very idea that it's okay for you to take up space, you know, or if you're grappling with the idea that you're entitled to as much respect and courtesy as everyone else's, this can be just too daunting a challenge. So what I want you to do instead is this. If something like that happens to you, say someone cuts in on you in line, I want you to say to yourself, silently, this is what I should say in this situation. And then just say it to yourself. So in that example, if someone cuts in line ahead of you, I want you to say to yourself, someone just cut in front of me in line. I should say, excuse me, I'm next in line. And I want to make my use of words here very clear. It's important that you say, I should say, or... I want to say, or it would be right to say, when you do this. It's not should as a judgmental thing, as in, oh, I should have said something, I'm such a whatever. It's not should like you failed to do something. It's should as in, this is the proper response here. This is what a person in this situation would be completely entitled to say, that sort of thing. I hope my meaning here is clear. The point of doing this is absolutely not to berate yourself and say, you know, you idiot, you should have said, hey, get in the back of the line. Nothing like that. The point is to establish in your own mind that if you could say something, if it were appropriate, if you had the nerve, if, if, if a million ifs, you know, then this is what you would say. It's how a person ought to respond. I hope you see what I mean. Because the point is, by doing this, you are saying what you should say, what should be said. You are saying, excuse me, I'm next in line. Just because you're not saying it out loud makes absolutely no difference to your mind. If you have that thought, it's as good as saying it in this case. You're telling yourself, hey, I'm standing here, I'm next. You don't get to butt in front of me, you know? You're making sure that you know it. Even if you don't have the nerve or the right situation to say it to the person cutting in front of you. Because when we do speak up, we, we really are only doing it for ourselves, aren't we? To say it to ourselves. 
when you think about it. We, we even use the term standing up for ourselves, meaning that we are defending ourselves or getting justice for ourselves or trying to. It's not really about getting a person to go to the back of the line. Because so often we, we happily let people go in front of us. We don't care. You know, we even gesture for people to go ahead when we're in traffic and, and things like that. It's, it's not really about having to wait that extra few minutes. Nothing's going to turn on whether someone gets through the cashier two minutes before we do. But when we do say something, it's because we want to assert our own rights and make it clear that, that we're standing here. You know, we take up space. Our needs are important and valuable to ourselves. So you get the same benefit by saying it just to yourself. You get that same sense of justice, that same little shot of self-esteem, even if you don't say it to the person who has wronged you. So do this for me this week, okay? If someone says something or does something, either intentionally or unintentionally, like if they don't hold the door for you because they didn't see you or they're out of it or something or they're just being rude, then say to yourself, when someone doesn't hold the door for me, they're being rude. I don't deserve to have a door slammed in my face. It's just common courtesy. And then just let it go. You know, that's what's great about this. You don't need to snarl at them. You don't need to confront them. Just acknowledging to yourself that this is what you should say or do in this situation is enough. It's not about, you know, harboring resentment towards people. As I said, you just let it go. It's about not letting an incident pass without acknowledging that something wasn't right. That you weren't treated fairly. And that's all. We shouldn't let little things like this go by without comment, even internal comment, because they can build up to the point where, you know, we expect to be treated unfairly. Now, by doing this, you'll make sure that every time you are treated unfairly, whether intentionally or not, you at least set the record straight in your own mind. Now, I'm just going to caution you about one thing, which I probably don't have to mention, but I'll put it out there anyway. You know I don't want you to say things, even to yourself, like, he cut in front of me. I should beat the crap out of him. Or, <laughs> she laughed at me at work. I should slash her tires. Obviously, right? I mean, you know this. <laughs> These are minor insults you've suffered. So your response, even in your own mind, should be rational and proportionate. So no matter how hurt you feel, make sure it's your rational mind responding, not your emotions. You know, the point of this isn't to go all <laughs> Steven Seagal and exact revenge <laughs> in your mind's eye, you know, I'll get you, you know. It's about sending a simple message to yourself and not allowing an insult or or someone's rudeness to sink in until it becomes part of your DNA. And that's it. It's not about your honor or your standing or saving face or getting back at someone. Imagine it, imagine it more like what you would say to your little brother or sister or your kid or something. If someone cut in front of them at, uh, you know, the ice cream truck, you know, you would probably say something like, yes, you're right. You were next. That kid was very rude to cut in front of you. It wasn't right. That kind of thing, right? So, try this for me this week, even once. If even once you find yourself not saying something as someone cuts in front of you or ignores you or is unfair to you in some way, make sure you say to yourself, in this situation, I should say or do this, whatever it is. You give that a try for me? 
If you do, think about how you feel afterwards. You know, hopefully how, how right it feels just to acknowledge to yourself that you have the right to take up space and to be treated fairly. Okay, so that's it for this week. Next week, I'm going to talk a bit about your personal style and how being more true to yourself can make you feel more confident, more relaxed, and as a byproduct, ding, 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 I love that bell, more attractive to women. <laughs> so until then, remember that you're an attractive, interesting person, worthy of love, and you're well on the way to finding it. Bye for now.